Good morning, Carpenter's Way. If you guys would direct your attention, we have some baptisms this morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Is this on? Yeah, all right, great. There we go. Well, it is great to see you this morning, and this is called a baptistry. COVID kind of put a crimp in this uh, for about a year, so we are very, very excited this morning uh, to be a part of this, and uh, this is going to be a great morning. Um, I, I want to, I always like when we get ready to do baptisms, just to remind you what baptism is and what baptism isn't. Uh, this morning, we have an opportunity uh, to witness an incredible moment in Lane and Paige's life, and, uh, and this is Letney, her dad, he's going to be baptizing them, but baptism it's simply a picture of what God's already done in their lives. They've made a decision to trust Christ, uh, and baptism is a beautiful picture of being dead and then that relationship with Jesus bringing us back to life. And so this morning, this is what we're here to witness, and I couldn't be more excited to be a part of this. And so, let me turn to you. grandmother is going to pray for her. Heavenly Father, thank you 
Thank you for this day. Thank you for answered prayer that was uttered the first time we held these children, that they would one day proclaim your name and want to live for you. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for Paige, that she, um, she has uh, just grown so wonderfully. And um, thank you for her kind and compassionate heart. I pray, Father, that you'll protect her, her mind and her heart from the evils of this world. And, Lord, that you will help her to develop into the woman that you have set uh, her to be, the plans that you have set in motion for her. Father, I pray that you will uh, help her to see herself as valuable because she's your child. Help her to get her identity and her uh, strength rooted in you. And Father, I pray that you will help us as her family, as her church family, to be good examples for her, to teach her how to love you and serve you wholeheartedly. Father, I ask that you will uh, teach us to uh, use the times that you give us, the opportunities, and give us the words to be able to speak uh, life to she and to Lane. And Father, I pray that you will just develop them into be mighty warriors for you. Thank you again, Father, for um, bringing us to this day. And um, I just pray that you will bless all the days of their lives. Help us to do the best we can, Lord. And I pray that you will fill in the gaps where we lack. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Never gets old. It's been a while, right? It's been a while since we got experience. That's so cool. So cool. Um, normally we do the welcome and we, we greet you guys. And we had this morning. So just a reminder, if you're in the room, you can stand with us. You can worship with us. You don't have to, but you can. If you're online, join in with us.
So if you guys want to stand, um, if you read the Bible, you probably have some favorite verses, some stuff that kind of sticks out to you. For whatever reason, this has been one of those uh, pretty much my whole life. I uh, just kind of remember reading Isaiah 40, 28. I was like, man, that's really cool. It's a really cool verse. And of course, as you grow, you kind of add stuff to it. I think that's probably one of my first ever, like, that's my verse. That's my, that's my jam in the Bible. So we're going to read this together. It's Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. So read along with me. Do you not know... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. All it takes is a moment. All it takes is a word. To bring light to the dark and give life to this heart. You are whole, you are peace to my soul. You're the one who sustains me. 
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much as we, as we read through your word. God, that you meet us where we are. You give strength. You, you carry us. You, you lead us. You guide us. As we, as we stand before you, just declaring, Lord, that nothing compares. Nothing satisfies like you. You are our delight, God. We praise you and we thank you. Thank you.
may be seated. Man, it's good to see so many of you back after running away for a year. I, I again, and some of you are still, and that, that's you, you got to be wise. Uh, but uh, man, it is good. Last three weeks, we've had lots of new our folks, old folks coming back. You know, not old in age, but people that were being wise. And 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 I, man, it's so wonderful to have you guys back and see you again. And and uh, welcome home for those of you that are still watching online. We're glad to have you there too. Uh, we're not going to shut that down. We're going to lean into it. We want you to keep with our study as you're on vacation and doing different things. And, and uh, our job is to feed you the Word, and what a privilege it is to do it. But there's nothing like singing in this building. I, I, we just, you just can't capture that online. And, and uh, man, that song that Selah sang was a new one Chad just wrote. He's pretty good. Amen. I think he should maybe, he should maybe write more music. Uh, but wow. You know, uh, we, uh, we ladies had an if gathering here at church yesterday, and uh, I was blessed. This is the first time I've been able to attend. I was the only man across the globe. <coughs> Actually, uh, uh, Julie and I did some technical stuff with uh, Dusty and, and uh, Maria, and, and uh, so I got to sit and watch, and I, I got to tell you, it was, it was phenomenal, so solid doctrinally, and uh, to know that we're not alone. There were over 6,000 different groups gathering globally in over 51 different countries. And uh, it was about God's Word. It was about God's Word and, and Jesus, being obsessed with Jesus. And I so appreciated that. It was so good for my heart. And uh, I was revived yesterday. I surrendered my life to the Lord again. I do it about every 12 minutes uh, because I take it back. But wow, what a wonderful time. And I got to tell you, you are not alone. I actually believe. They said some things yesterday that I've been thinking a lot. And this has been such a strange year. Everybody knows it. It's been a depressing year. Until you start getting out, you don't realize how, how down you are. Until you start seeing people. Until you start worshiping. Like, I remember uh, just a few months back. I can't tell you what Sunday. But I remember the first Sunday that it seemed like a larger group came back. And, and I could hear you singing. And it was like, oh, I've missed that. I've missed my hair parting from the back and hearing you sing. I just... I just miss that so much. And, and to see each other's face, it's so important that we see each other, that we encourage each other, and to, and to do that in a room, um, and, and to see these people across the globe doing this. And uh, yesterday, they, they do a, a, a fundraiser every time for something, and they've, they've connected with a group whose focus it is to make sure the Bible gets in every major language. And there's a, they were saying yesterday there's about 2,000 language groups that don't have scriptures in their language. Many have never heard the name of Jesus. And so yesterday they were going to uh, raise a few hundred thousand. It costs, I think, $1.2 million uh, of investment to do all the work it takes to translate one Bible. They raised like $1.5 million yesterday. And, and we got to participate Julie and I participated. We helped yesterday translate a Bible into the language that had never been translated before. We are in the best time in history to serve the Lord. I'm serious. We are in the best time. I know that the world is weird, and I know Washington and our country is, is, is going morally downhill. But do you realize that as it's closer to the Lord's return, the Scripture tells us that more people will be saved than have ever been saved in all the other time of history. And we have been chosen for such a time as this. And I, it is such a privilege. And yes, it's going to be painful. My goodness, it's always been painful. Have you read this book? But well, like Jesus said, if I may quote him, what's the worst they can do to you? Kill you? They set us free. 
And, and what a privilege it is. And don't lose heart, friends. Don't lose heart because it's just getting good. And, and this is going to become more precious than it has ever been in our lifetimes. Uh, one, one speaker yesterday said something, and I've been, I've been thinking about it. And I, uh, their comment was that since the 60s and 70s, when Christian Dumby decided to get involved so dramatically politically and try to make a moral statement, which there's nothing wrong with, that we began to sit back and we put all of our impetus, our energy, all of our uh, energy into a political statement, a moral statement, a, 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 an agenda for our country politically. And also what happened at the same time is we relaxed our passion for evangelism. It's almost like we turned away from sharing the hope of Jesus Christ and started believing in the hope of America. And this one speaker said yesterday, I'm excited because I think God is removing that. Jesus Christ came to die for people of every color, every race, and every political persuasion. Everyone. And that has not been the attitude of the church. That's not been where we've been. I don't mean just Carpenter's way, but in general. And it is time for us to get back to prioritizing the message of the gospel because we're going home soon. We are. Our time is short. And this is what we do here. Um, one, another speaker, and I'm, I'm going to kind of kill it, but it's, these are things that have been just bubbling over since last night, said, when people ask you what you do or who you are, instead of saying, I'm a lawyer, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, you tell them that I have been asked by the Creator God to share the hope of eternal life with every person I've ever met. Because that's what we do. That's what we do. Everything else is secondary. How we fund that by being a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a janitor or a pastor, that's secondary to our task. And what a task it is. And you, you, you don't, don't let the world, don't let Satan discourage you, even if you're scared. Don't let him discourage you. Because it's always, I'm in Joshua right now, I'm reading through the Bible, and some of you are doing it with me, and I'm in Joshua right now, and it's like six times at the end of, uh, at the end of Deuteronomy and beginning of Joshua, different groups of people, including God, said, be of good courage, be of courage. And why, the question I love to ask you guys, why does God, the nation, the elders of Israel, why do they all tell Joshua to have courage? Because he's scared. Fear is not the absence of God or task. It's just, it's just fear. And as we fear, we've got two choices. We can try to cover it up with things, political things, alcohol, drugs, religion, piety, or we can, we can trust in the Lord. We can put our hope in the Lord. And uh, I'm, I'm privileged to pastor at such a time as this. I am. I'm so, what, a, what an amazing time to have no idea what tomorrow holds. I mean, it's such a weird time. This last year has been nuts. And, uh, and yet, God was every step of the way with us. Look at you. You're so good looking. I know I've told you otherwise before, but I'm in a, I'm in a very good mood this morning. I'm love blind. And I, I just, I, I want to say one more thing about that. What an honor it is to be with you here in East Texas and serve the Lord. This is such a wonderful place to evangelize because everybody thinks they're saved. And uh, we'll get into that in our message in just a minute. But we had a wonderful moment. Um, we're going to do something different that I've been wanting to do for a while, and they did yesterday, so I stole it. And uh, we're gonna, we'll end up with a sign. <clears throat> Julie and I are going out of town this week for a few days, and Anna, and we'll be back, so it won't happen this week. But as you, between these two doors, there is uh, two of the wood panels that usually are in front of the library we've put there. And there's a table in front of it. 
And that's going to be an unspoken prayer wall. And what we want you to do is this. If you have an, and we have a prayer, we have a prayer guide that you put things in that this doesn't take away from that. But there may be things going on in your soul that you don't, that you don't feel comfortable putting up there. You can write on a card, pray for me, I'm whatever, and then, or pray for my family or pray for this. And, and you can tape it onto that wall. But here's the rule. If you take one, you got, if you add one, you got to take one. Because, because here's, here's why that's important. Because you're not here to get, you're here to give as well as you get. And if you're asking God to intercede for you, or somebody else to intercede for you, then you need to intercede for them. Just because life is difficult and scary and overwhelming doesn't mean you shouldn't be praying. In fact, I'd like to say that if you're depressed and you're self-loathing and all the things that come with that, that's when you need to pray more than you've ever prayed. Because it's easy to trust when you're at the IF conference, ladies. It's easy to trust when somebody's in front of you. It's really hard to trust when you feel abandoned. And that's when we got to get on our face. That's where we're going in the world. We're going to more trust. So that's out there. Please use it. Um, if you are unsaved and you want people to pray for you, of course you can put a prayer request up there and we will pray for you. But if we catch you, not to, I'm just kidding. But, but you know what I'm saying. Take and give. It's okay. So that's, uh, that's going on. All right, so here we are. Uh, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak this morning your word and your truth because my truth is irrelevant. All that matters is your truth. And I, I pray that in that you'll introduce yourself to us in a new way because you aren't truthful. You are truth. And uh, I thank you for how I was so well fed yesterday. And I thank you for a few days of relaxation this week that Julie and Annie and I are going to get. And I pray that you are glorified in that and that we remember you as we travel and see some of the beauty of East or West Texas. And uh, I pray for my family here, some that are going to be going away for spring break, some that will be staying. But Lord Jesus, you inhabit the temple, which is your people, and we need to hear from you. So, uh, so encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the 13th chapter of Matthew's gospel, uh, he records for us a, a story that Jesus told. And I'm going to read it for you. It won't be on the screen. But it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as everybody slept, his enemy came and he planted weeds among the wheat. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's servant came and told him, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed, it's full of weeds. An enemy has done it, the farmer exclaimed. Shall we put, pull out the weeds, they asked. He replied, No. No, because if you do it, you'll hurt the wheat. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and, and burn them and to put the wheat in the barn. Jesus, in this parable in Matthew, wanted the disciples to know and understand that growing up among them would be those who look like them, who act like them, but are not of them. I might remind you that Judas was there when Jesus was teaching this. That making you, as Keith Green used to say, uh, uh, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, and being actively involved in a member of a church doesn't make you the child of God. <clears throat> it is important that they understood that. In fact, in Jeremiah 17, this is a consistent message. In verse 9, God told Jeremiah to say this, the human heart is most, desperately, uh, is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts, and I examine, what's that word? Secret motives. The secret motives. The difference between a saved person and a religious person is often not behavior. If you look at Mormons, 
You see very moral, right-winged, angled people. Good-looking people. Religious people. If you look at the legalist, you see behavior that looks like the fruit of the Spirit, but you don't see the Holy Spirit. The difference, according to Romans, between a saved person and an unsaved person is the presence of the Holy Spirit, believe it or not. It's not walking an aisle or praying a prayer. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we know the fruit of the Spirit, so we can identify, in many cases, who's saved and who's not. Or at least we should look inward, which is why Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit passage was written, so that we can evaluate the fruit of our life, what we live out, and we can determine who owns us. And it's with that that we jump back into Acts 8. We find ourselves this morning in this chapter, and we just watched Stephen be martyred. Paul was, Saul was there, as you remember. And after Stephen is martyred, it tells us that a great persecution began of First Church Jerusalem. And it tells us that they were scattered. And we pick up our story and our text in verse eight, or 4 of chapter 8 of Acts. But the believers who fled Jerusalem because of the persecution went everywhere. And look what they did as they traveled. They were being persecuted for Jesus Christ. But as they went, they preached the good news about Jesus. I, I want to say a couple things. And this is super important, Bible Belt people. That when you have been saved by Jesus Christ, and I mean saved, forget the religious word, but when he has saved your fanny from condemnation and from self-destruction in this life, you know it. I'd like a caveat here. For those of us who grew up in the church and who got saved at a young age and who never really lived very far from the church bell sound, there is a little bit of a disadvantage for us. It just is. Of all the wonderful things that we get, there is a bit of a disadvantage. And that disadvantage is we really don't know what, how wonderful salvation is because we've never been outside of the sound of that. What we have done is we discredit it to such a point where it's just a little porn, it's just a little sex, it's just a little alcohol, it's just a little drugs, where we play with Satan's toys, even knowing, well, we really don't think it'll destroy us as long as we don't get caught doing it. But for the person who knows how lost they are, I think one of Satan's, a side note, I think one of Satan's most effective tools for people growing up in evangelical churches is a self-righteous behavior um, when it happens a lot to, to, in my counseling, when someone has, I think I've told you this before, when somebody has finally been caught as an alcoholic, I mean their, their wife, their parents, they, they get stuck and they realize they have a problem. <clears throat> They'll often come and we'll pray together. But then I'll say, okay, but this is a sin in the flesh. This is real. This is in you. This is in a, this, you you're going to go to this when you struggle. And I'll often send them uh, have them encourage them to be involved in AA. I'm a fan of AA for lots of reasons. We can discuss it later if you want. But I'm a fan of AA. They'll go to AA, and almost 100% of the time, I mean, it's like 99.9. .9. They come back about three weeks later and go, I'll say, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing fine. Are you going to AA meetings and stuff? No. Why? I'm not like them. Whoa. Oh, yes, you are. See, that's the problem. That, that, that middle class Christian person, we look in the mirror and we have all of our teeth and we kind of go, I'm pretty. I may be strong, maybe all oh, there, 
there but the grace of God go I and some self-control. There, there's, 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 there's real faith effort here. There's real work. Salvation transforms us. And when we're saved at a very young age, which is a wonderful thing, the problem is we don't know what we're saved from. We think the wages of sin is death, and we just go, okay, that's just hell. It's not. It's, it's, it's a hell of a life. Look at the world right now. They're ridiculous, and they don't know it. Please understand that judgment from God is not always fire from heaven. If we're doing our job, hopefully some of them won't end up there. That's eternal death. That's hell. We don't... I know, I know that our flesh sometimes rages and we go, I hate that person. Be careful of hating a person. You're here to love them into the, into the kingdom. But the truth remains that we have the opportunity to share Christ with them and they can avoid that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Don't resent the dark, ugly, evil world. Hurt for them. When you see a homeless person, may your heart bleed for them, not because they're hungry, but because they need Jesus. May we hurt for people. May we hurt for the other political party, not hate them. Hate is not a spiritual gift. And we are extra political as the children of God because our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. So, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And, and why did they go? Running for their lives. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in that city. As we've seen in our look at Acts of the Holy Spirit and Ordinary People, which is what I'm retitling it. I'm thinking about writing my own Bible with my own titles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting that most, most of the translations call it the Acts of the Apostles. Well, Philip isn't an apostle. Remember, the apostles are still in Jerusalem. It's, it tells us that Peter and John are going to join him in a moment. But this is not an apostle. This is an ordinary guy. Stephen wasn't an apostle. He was an ordinary guy, filled with the Spirit. And the reason he did miraculous things was for the same reason that God always did miraculous things in Acts. Because that's what it would take to draw the crowd in order to accomplish the task God had for him. Remember that we are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. He retooled us so that we can perform tasks that he's assigned us. That, that's Ephesians 2.10. And they're no different. Just because their name is in the scriptures doesn't make, actually even make them special. You are just as important to the plan of God as Philip was. So Philip is doing, is an ordinary guy inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and he's performing miracles there, and, and amazing things are happening, and the Samaritan city is impacted by the Spirit's work through Philip, and it brought them joy. Wherever the gospel is preached, good news is told, and joy is had. Some people hate it and run from it, but there is joy in the gospel. I want to remind you that the word gospel is, a, is a, a, a different language word that means what? Good news. Gosh, I think sometimes we forget it's good news. We sure don't act like it. If it's good news, we talk about that more than the serum in the vir and the uh, inoculation that you get from COVID. This is really, 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 really good news. Our political uh, movement in the evangelical church has alienated us from other people that need a gospel. 
We've all gone to our own tribes. We go to church every week. And, and I grew up in a church, so we were there every night of the week. You know, there was choir practice one night, and there was, there was evangelism, but it wasn't relationship building. It was knocking on the doors. And then we'd have discipleship training. We didn't have any time to go out. And then our church built these phenomenal uh, workout gyms, and we had our own pool because there was a high school on our campus. We had all these places. My goodness, it was almost like the goal was to not be impacted by the world. And I remember being taught, come out from among them. Well, you're supposed to be among them. That's what Jesus did. You're supposed to be out there. And the world is going to use God's name in vain. Don't be offended by that. Introduce them to him. Well, I won't let them use God's name in vain. He's allowing them to. Why are we offended on God's behalf? It should break our hearts for people. America is going to persecute believers. Pastor, aren't you concerned about religious freedoms? No. This is, this is not. There's always been religious persecution. And right now, we learned this yesterday. Again, I know I'm preaching yesterday's messages. But, but in Iran, do you realize that the gospel is spreading like nuts? And in China? And most of us in this room have been to a revival where you've prayed for God to revive America. He may be slow, but he does answer prayer. Be careful what you pray for. I remind you that Jesus told the church of Laodicea who had everything they could ever want. In fact, so much that they told God, we don't need you. You go on to Samaria, Smyrna. We don't need you. We got this down. And God said, you are wretched, blind, naked, and miserable, and you don't even know it. I advise you buy for me gold. Anybody remember? Refined by fire. Well, I don't want gold refined by fire. Nobody wants gold refined by fire unless God is your goal. And then refine away. Chisel away. These people were being chiseled, but look what's happening. If the chiseling didn't take place, if the persecution hadn't taken place, if they weren't fleeing, the message would have never gone out from Jerusalem, and we may not be saved to this day. That was never going to happen because God had a plan. And you know why he sent persecution to them? Because they never would have gone without it. And the day may come in the United States of America where some of us have to go to jail so that we can tell other people in prison about Jesus. And we can tell judges about Jesus and juries about Jesus. And they may take us, we may go up through the court system and every day is a new opportunity to, t to do exactly what they do. Everywhere they went, they shared the gospel. And joy went throughout the whole city. The whole Samaritan city was impacted by the Spirit's work through this one man. This kind of story, though, it tells us in this text, was happening all over as Christians ran. And, and for whatever reason, Luke emphasizes this story with Philip. And I, I'm going to tell you what I think the reason is. But this is happening all over. It didn't just happen in Samaria. Remember, the Christians ran to, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria. And it says that everywhere they went, the gospel was going forth. And, but in this case, he said, like, for instance, Philip, and he wants us to know. And why? Because the story is taking place in Samaria, and that's significant. The great majority of Jesus' followers were Jews and still very, very, very Jewish. The Samaritans were the half-breed offspring, as most of you know, of the unfaithful grandparents of the Hebrew people who broke God's law by intermarrying with the Assyrians. And at this time, the Jews and the Samaritans absolutely hated each other. And why did they hate each other? Because they were Samaritans and they were Jews. We call that, what's that word? Racism. It's absolutely prejudice. It's absolutely everything we think America invented. 
Not only did America not invent it, not only has the church not invented it, it's just been going on forever. That doesn't take the pressure off to change it and to identify it. But it's been going on forever. And that's why Jesus talked about the Samaritans so much. Because he wanted to go to the extreme hyperbolic example. You know the story of the good Samaritan who helped the Jewish guy. Why did Jesus use a Samaritan? You know the answer to that. Because Samaritans, Jews, hate each other. And because to God, Samaritan lives mattered. They did. They mattered. No matter what, what your political thoughts, no matter what your nationalistic thoughts, no matter what your Jewish thoughts were, to Jesus, a Jewish boy, God of the universe, Messiah, Samaritan lives mattered. And while the Jews hated the Samaritans, Jesus loved them. And so he sent persecution to Jerusalem and to a guy named Philip who may very well have run to Samaria because he knew that they would chase them to Judea. And he knew that these religious persecutors like Saul wouldn't chase him there. So he goes there to avoid persecution, but when he's there, he talks about Jesus. And look what God does. He empowers him and draws a crowd. He, he, uh, God sent persecution to unseat Philip from his comfort zone in Jerusalem. Be careful, my American friends, my Bible Belt thinking friends, of thinking you know what God wants for you, for our country, because he may have a better plan that may be harder on you. Be careful. Because Scripture is filled with stories where God's servants wonder what in the world God is doing. Have you ever really read the Psalms? It's over and over and over in there. Let me say something about prejudice. This is a sidebar thing I want to say. And I've, I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks. When in the world did racial, racial prejudice ever become a political issue? In other words, because many of you, probably most of you, are conservative politically, and myself included, when did we ever decide that that was a leftist issue? When did we allow, allow that message of, of loving people no matter what their race is, their color is, or their socioeconomic status in this country, when did we decide that that's something for the other side to deal with? When Satan convinced us it was. It's our issue. The church in the New Testament was full of problems because it was interracial. There were troubles. The first the reason that they have the first semblance of deacons we talked about was because the non-Hebrew speaking Jews felt like the Hebrew speaking Jews weren't feeding their widows enough. And they said it was racism. I know that we can't go back and change what our country did. I know that. But I want to say this. There is a problem when in evangelical churches, racists exist and they are comfortable hidden in our flock. There's a problem. Let me be clear. If you are a racist, if you will not share the gospel with somebody because of their color or you turn and walk the other way because of somebody's sexual orientation or their political views, you are not walking with Jesus. You're not. Well, you can't say that. Yes, I can because Jesus, think about this, of all, do you believe God is sovereign? This would be a good time to say yes. <laughs> I'm setting you up, I know. But do you realize all of the non-Jewish people he, he, he ministered and used? 
the guy on the way to the cross, while he's carrying Jesus falls, and he uses an Ethiopian to pick up the cross and carry it. Why wouldn't he use a religious Jew? Why shepherds? Why did Jesus grow up in, where did he grow up? Nazareth, right? Where? Egypt! Jesus was an Egyptian! By his training. Why? We, somewhere around 6, 7, or 8, he ends up back in Hebrew territory. But please remember, it is reasonable, and I, I hadn't thought about this till lately, I was watching The Chosen, it is reasonable to believe that Jesus grew up speaking Egyptian, whatever that language was then. This is one smart dude. And it wasn't an accident. If God is going to use persecution to send Philip to the Samaritans, he's going to use persecution to send Jesus to Egypt. If we believe he's sovereign, he's in control. This message, we cannot allow our, our, our flesh. And, and I am not saying, if you grew up in a white community, if you grew up in a black community, if you grew up in a Mexican community, you are always going to have weird feelings about people. That's not the point. The point is, when God sends them in your way or to them, like Philip, you present the gospel. And in a moment, Peter and John are going to come into it, and nobody is more racist in the gospel story than Peter. Do you remember at the end of Acts? It's toward the end of Acts. We'll get there and we'll talk about it. Because I think it's time to talk about racism in the church. No, I don't want a panel of white and black pastors. But it's time for us to acknowledge that we are comfortable in our comfort zones. Just like we're prejudiced against people who aren't Baptist or, or assemblies of God. Well, they and us. There is only us. The family of God and those who are going to hell. That's all there is. And when we get to heaven, nobody's going to go, were you Southern Baptist? Were you Christian Baptist? Were you Covenantal Baptist? What did you believe? Do you, are you, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of this here. Can I just be clear? I'm not a Calvinist, but I'm tired of being called a Calvinist. I do believe in election and free will. We had somebody recently leave our church because I'm not committed to one or the other. It's because the Bible isn't committed to one another. Is that why we leave churches? We can't have dialogues anymore? Wake up, church! It's about him. I want to put one on the other side and above me. I want to hide behind a pulpit. Do you know what you... I'm going off. I've got to get my message done. It's, it's understandable and very human to lust. I know none of you do it, but it is very common to think, oh, I wish my husband was that or my wife was like that. It's very common. And, and you're going to struggle with that most of your life. It is also very common to be prejudiced. But you cannot act on it. God not only wants to reach them for Jesus, he wants to stretch you. And one day you'll wake up and you will love them more than you love yourself. Because you love Jesus. It is the love of God that compels us. We are not at war with people. We are here pleading with people as if God is making his appeal through us. Come back to God. That's what we do. And we've got to get back to that. This isn't about heaven and hell. It's about a relationship. Okay, back to my text. Okay, <laughs> That was a sidebar. It was really long. I'm, I'm going to jump that text, Louise, and go right to Acts 8-9. A man named Simon had been, uh, had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria, and claiming, this is very important, to be someone great. Everyone, from the least to the greatest, often spoke of him as the great one actually the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Zach Wilkie. I want to remind you 
That Satan is... Satan cannot do anything he's not allowed to do. He is a counterfeiter. He is a lying sack of doo-doo. He is not as powerful as we give him credit for. He's more powerful than us, but he's just an angel. He is not everywhere. He's in one place. He's not omnipresent like God. He is in one place at one time. Satan is a liar. So what he does is he counterfeits. He counterfeits, and he was using Simon to counterfeit the power of God. I remind you that throughout Scripture... God has allowed Satan to mimic him. The Egyptian uh, witches and war, whatever they were called back in Egypt, when Moses threw down the staff, they threw down the staff. Theirs turned into a snake, his turned into a snake. His snake ate their snake. <laughs> One for us. But they, the, truth, the truth is that they, they mimic it. He turns the water to blood, they turn water to blood. It, it, Satan does that. In fact, in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, it tells us that the beast who is empowered by Satan did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to the earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. Uh, <clears throat> a spiritual experience does not always equal truth. It's just a spiritual experience. Just because the beast can call fire down from heaven, it does not mean God's in the fire. Just because Phil or Simon could do miraculous things, they assumed that that was God's power, but it wasn't God's power. I'll tell you what, church, we better grow up, because if we are right and we are getting close to the end of times, if you believe that, it says that if the Lord hadn't returned, even the saints would be deceived. You better know God through his word. You better know him. You better know them or you'll be deceived. You've got to know what's true. And just because you've had a spiritual experience doesn't mean it's from God. A big part of our job as elders and church leaders and pastors, and just hiring Adam and Jeff and I talking with Alicia and the elders, we take this very ser seriously. And it's Ephesians 4, 12 to 15. You've heard this a bunch and you're going to hear it more. Our responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That is not numerical growth. It's depth. He explains it here. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. And what is our responsibility to do that? In season and out of season, 2 Timothy 3.16 is clear. It is to teach you the word of God that is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The job of the local church that is doing God's work is not to be a wedding chapel or a funeral home. It's not to be an educational system. It's not to make sure the walls of schools are painted. It's not our job to do anything else primarily but to take God's people and mature them in the things of God. That we have to do. Everything else is negotiable. And should be done. But if we're not doing this, which I would argue the church isn't doing well today, we shouldn't be doing this. Because this is a distraction. 
from student ministry, social events, to men's events, to women's events. If we're not doing this, and that is making you mature in the Lord so you're not blown around by every wind of doctrine, we are not preparing you for what comes next. And several years ago, I really felt led by the Lord to talk a lot about the suffering the doctrine of suffering that the church doesn't talk about today. The church today loves to tell you whether it's Baptist or not, often of how God wants to give you your best life now. That's not true. Your best life will be in eternity. Now he asks for everything from you. Pick up your cross. Put your selfish ambition aside and follow me was Jesus' teaching. That has somehow left the building with most evangelical preachers today. And I'm here to tell you, whether they teach it or not, it's still the truth. That's what the scriptures teach. And that is seen throughout history of God's followers. Joshua didn't sign up to be second in command after Moses. He didn't want that. But God said, you're going to do it. Have courage. I don't want to do it. How about Elijah? After he calls down fire from heaven on the Mount Carmel, not the ice cream one, the other one, and they're all dead, he goes into a depression. I don't like killing people. I don't like doing this. You're my servant, son. You're my servant. This is what I'm asking you to do. What God asks us to do may not be easy, but it is eternally rewarding. And that's what we're here for. Verse uh, 12, back to, back to Acts 8. But now the people believed Philip's message. Remember, we're Philip versus Simon. The people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. That was pivotal to his message. As a result, many men and women were being baptized. And Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they plugged their nose, sent Peter and John there. Look, it doesn't say it in this text that they plugged their nose, but I'm just telling you with what we know of Peter later in Acts, Peter wasn't excited about this. He wouldn't even eat with Gentiles later. He struggled with prejudice, but they went because that's where God was moving. As soon as they arrived, verse 15 tells us, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy, the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon the believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given to everybody but him, I added that, but notice that he's watching. He's an observer to the Holy Spirit's work. When he sees that that's happening, when the apostles laid their hand on people, he offered to buy this power. <laughs> Why am I laughing? I don't know. Okay. Okay, I'm not going to go there yet. Verse 19. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they can receive the Holy Spirit. What amazed Simon, according to verse uh, 13, was the miracles and signs that Philip performed. Simon was drawn by the experience, the religious experience of God. Not the God of the experience. Be careful of falling in love with even Christian religious experiences. Because it's Jesus that saves, not Hillsong. Not Bethel. Not the healer. This is all about him. God. All, 100%. It's all about him. It's not about you. You being a good person. It's not about saving America. According to the scriptures, 
It's not about any of that. It's about him and you. That's all it's about. And you finding him and him redeeming you and then you being so overwhelmed by it, you tell everybody else. That's all this is about. This has turned into choir. It's turned into hymnody. It's turned into uh, poetic stuff. It's turned into uh, steeples and chandeliers. And it was never supposed to be about that. It was supposed to be about God alone. Everyone in the story seems to receive the Holy Spirit while the apostles were laying hands on them except Simon. Simon didn't realize or even care for his own spiritual need. He thought his need was for more power for himself. Might I remind you that's exactly what Eve thought in the Garden of Eden. Simon wanted more power, more authority. Even if he had a sincere heart, he wanted to help people more. Let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. But Simon thought that his need was not a spiritual problem. He thought his need was more power. I want you to pay attention to this. Romans 3.25. Look at this. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Let's stop there for a second. Jesus did not come to make the lame walk. He did that as part of, this, as part of a, saying, I am sent. The reason he does miracles, and we'll get to this in Acts, it's explained clearly, was not so that lame people could walk and blind people could see. He clearly had compassion on them, and he did those things. But there were still, when Jesus died on the cross and ascended to heaven, there were tons of blind, lame people. His plan wasn't to make all sickness go away. His plan was to fulfill his father's plan of presenting Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. That's the message of the church. Sin. Not better life, best life. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Simon didn't receive the Holy Spirit when the others did because he was not born into God's family, which is different than believing because James tells us that even the demons believed. You realize that the demons were there when Jesus was killed on the cross and they were there when he rose from the dead. They were there, but they're not saved. Just believing in these things isn't enough. It's a transformation. The reason that Simon was not born into God's family, despite being baptized even, is because religious responses to God do not save you from your sin, but a broken and repentant heart does, Scripture says. A broken and repentant heart. Simon was not seeking forgiveness for sin or even a right relationship with God. What Simon wanted is found in Acts 8, 18 and 19. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given, when the apostles placed their hands upon people's heads, he offered money to buy that power. Let me have that power too, he exclaimed. And by the way, remember in John 6, there was a group of Jews who wanted the same thing from Jesus. Give us this power so that we can also go out and do these things. And Jesus said, all my Father wants from you to believe. Does anybody remember the next thing they ask? We'll do another miracle for us and then we'll believe. You see, the truth is, believing that God can give you power, believing that God gives you an experience, might make you happy, but it's not why Jesus came. And to do the religious Christian thing without Jesus still gets you condemnation. Hell. Somehow, somewhere, a long time ago, the church in this culture decided to say that you can be saved from hell but never surrender your life to the Lord. That simply isn't biblical. It's not enough. To want to be a member of a church, to want to have the fellowship of a church, those are all fine things, but none of them are what saves you. You may love worship music. But loving worship music without Jesus still gets you condemnation. 
And there really isn't any different here between Simon and that. Desiring the benefits of being part of God's family without recognizing your need to be forgiven of your sins is missing the point of why Jesus came and will leave you condemned and unsaved. Romans 3, 19 through 20 time, uh, 25 explains, the law applies to those to whom it's given. Its purpose is to show you, is, or is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world is guilty before God. So, when you look at the Ten Commandments and you ask yourself, am I keeping it? If you say yes, you are missing the point of the law because you're not keeping it. Well, how can you say that? I've never committed adultery. Well, no, you may not have, but Jesus said if you've ever lusted, you've committed adultery. There goes the other 50% of us. I've never murdered. That's true. From a human point of view, you've never put a knife in somebody, but Jesus said if you've ever hated somebody, you've murdered. About three-quarters of you have murdered Nancy Pelosi in the last two weeks. <laughs> or Trump, whatever. I mean, it's, the truth is, Jesus keeps raising the bar, and you kind of go, well, who can do it? And his answer is nobody. Well, that's not very nice. Yeah, actually, let me tell you what nice is. Nice is me taking the price for you. You know why he was beaten, hung naked, mocked, and all that stuff? Not because that was the fun way, but because that's what we deserve. He took your sin in his body on the tree. He paid the punishment that Mark Wilkie should have every day of eternity for the next two trillion years. That's why it's so painful. That's why the Father turned away. Even you, that's what the Father does before you're saved. He's turned away from you. I can't have fellowship with you. Even Jesus experienced that. And it was the most excruciating part for Jesus according to what he says on the cross. Jesus came so that your sin could be paid for by him. Your sin doesn't disappear. It's paid for. Jesus' cleanness is given to you as a gift. His, your righteousness is not because you learned it and you're better, but because he declares you righteous. And all Simon wanted was power. Religious power. God power. Jehovah power. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And all of God's honest children said, you betcha I want that. Because I've never kept the law. I have, you have it. That's because I'm a pastor and better than all of you. Just kidding if you're visiting. I don't mean that. Sorry. This way was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all I have to do? Yeah. Yep. Transferring trust from your own ability to save yourself to him. You see, the real problem with man is not lack of miracles or lack of spiritual experiences or bad marriage or out-of-control children or an environment that's falling apart. All of them are problems. The real problem with the church is not that we don't have hymnals in the pews or we don't use the King James Bibles anymore. The real problem with man is sin. And it has destroyed our ability to have a right relationship with our Creator who is also one day going to be the judge. Unfortunately, Simon thought his problem was that he wasn't powerful enough, which ironically is exactly what Eve thought. And his being baptized was about improving himself, not crying out to God for mercy. So he tried to buy the power. And when he did that, Peter replied this, May your money perish with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You, my friend, are not only powerful or powerless, but you are on your way to hell. You can have no part of this, for your heart is not right before God. 
which is what salvation is about, being made right with God. Turn from your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitterness and held captive by sin. Wow. Salvation is not by baptism or good deeds or even a simple belief. It is by transferring trust from your main problem, which is sin and condemnation from yourself to God, out of desperation to be forgiven and have a right relationship with God, the judge, the king of kings. It is realizing you are in bad shape because of sin and he is the only one who can save you and I'll add the only one who even wants to. And that is why even if this becomes outlawed, we will not be silenced because he's our only hope at Carpenter's Way Baptist Church in East Texas. He is our only hope. Back to Acts 8 verse 24. Simon responded, pray to the Lord for me that these terrible things that you've said won't happen to me. And that's the last time we hear about him. We have no idea. If he comes to follow, we don't know. What's interesting, though, is Luke turns the channel. And I think you'll know why when I read it for you. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. And as they're returning, they stop in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Why did they do that? Because no matter how they felt, Samaritan lives matter to God. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the, tr this, the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandaki. That's the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the, the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, I want you to go over and walk alongside the carriage. Why did Philip talk to this man? Because God told him to. And to God, Ethiopian lives matter. No matter what he felt about him. Philip ran over, and he, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. <laughs> this is really funny, because that's what it says. That was me acting like I run. <laughs> He's running alongside this carriage. It's, it's pretty funny. And he asks, do you, do you understand what you're reading? Could you slow your carriage down? <laughs> Thank you, Julie. That's the first time you've laughed at my jokes in about four years. <laughs> and the man turns to him who's running along. I mean, this is such a... Do you realize how cool this book is? He's running alongside the carriage and he's having a conversation. And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. Of all the, of all the scriptures he could have read. Listen to what he reads. It's so cool. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And you remember around that, it talks about Messiah. He took our sins. I think the next two verses, it says that he, it, we thought he was dying for his own sins, but he was taking our sins. So he's, the, the eunuch asked Philip in verse 34, tell me, was this prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same passage... Philip told him the good news about, what's his name? That's all we got. Not about his church, or what's going on in Jerusalem, or what just happened in Samaria. He's telling him about Jesus. 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 Our Jesus. No other name like Jesus. So he tells him about Jesus. 
As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. Why can't I be baptized? It's not baptism that saves you, but he's going, I want this, man. It's like him saying, can I pray? How do I accept Jesus Christ? I've heard enough. He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Boom. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself. That's just what it says. I know, it's crazy. Could happen to you, just so you know. If God wants this to happen in our life, this is the thing that really you really need to get in Acts. I am not saying, I am not a cessationist, for those of you who know theology. In other words, I don't believe these things stop. I believe they happen when God wants them to. Yesterday, uh, oh, I'm out of time, so I, I can't tell you the story. But God can raise the dead whenever he wants. He can kill people when he wants. He can make us well when he wants. He can let us be persecuted when he wants. He can stop the persecution. I believe all that will happen. And I believe as the days get closer to the return of Christ, we're going to see more than we can imagine. And that's going to be a problem for a lot of Baptists. There's going to be two problems for a lot of Baptists. Number one, so much drinking in heaven. So much drinking. It's going to be a problem. There's so much wine in heaven. And I hear it's really good. And the second thing is, as we get closer, there's going to be signs and wonders, and you better prepare your heart for God. So what are you saying, Pastor? Should we experience them now? No, they're going to happen when they happen. It wasn't the morning of Pentecost. Everyone's going, help me speak in a foreign language. It happened because it needed to happen. It's going to happen. I want to seek it. Don't be stupid. That's what Simon was doing. Just walk with God. Know him from his word. Be surrendered. Okay, that was sight. That was free. He preached, uh, so he found himself further north in the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. You know why he found himself in the town of Azotus? Because to God, Azotin lives matter. Some of you are like, oh, I see what you're doing there. Of course I am. When did we decide that, that black lives don't matter? So I never said that. I said all lives matter. Yeah, but can't we just love them and keep our mouths shut? Can't we just go out of our way and buy their groceries or do what it takes to build? Yeah, but whatever. Why can't we? No more butts. No more butts. Our butts are in our mouths. We've got to stop. That doesn't even make sense. Just tell them about Jesus. Yes, but first we, there is no first. It's the only thing that matters. Because a hundred years from now, who you voted for in this last election will be absolutely irrelevant. And we have allowed Satan to make us more political than we are passionate about God. And as I look at this passage, I have another character in Scripture who's demanding that God give him what he wants instead of bowing the knee to God. And I've got another guy going, oh, I just, there's the, please. I can't afford to die. I don't want to go one more mile. What if the card turns over, please? And that's the difference between a saved Christian and an unsaved Christian. One is passionate for God and the other is passionate for whatever he or she thinks Christianity is. One stands behind the pulpit and points you to Jesus and the other tells you about their website and all the wonderful things they've done and how you can follow them and be a part of their movement. Stop supporting deceivers. Follow Jesus. In your world, you are missionaries. It's going to get weird, uncomfortable, scary. 
well, I'm fine for me, but what about my kids and my grandkids? Prepare them, my friend. Prepare them. Don't prepare them for the immorality of the word. Prepare them to be messengers of reconciliation. Two of them this morning. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. And the heads know that. Baptizing them. It's the second step of the beginning. They've accepted Christ. This was letting you know that they're followers of Jesus. Now for the rest of their childhood, mom and dad get to explain, oh, remember when you did that? That was you surrendering control of your life to Jesus. Most of you have been baptized, and I hope to God it wasn't to become a member of a church. You were baptized to proclaim that you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So live like it. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Next time you go to post on Facebook, ask yourself, does this glorify the kingdom or not? Does it build up the kingdom or not? If you've got something to say to somebody, then don't say it online. Call them. That's a relationship. Stop being a coward. Be a man or woman of God that's more interested in people's spiritual life even if you don't like them. Because it's the love of God out of 1 Corinthians that compels me. And if you are not a child of God today and you are searching for hope, you will not find it in a vaccine. You will not find it in in President Biden. You're not going to find in the resurrection of Trump, who people still say is going to be the king. It's it's not going to be him. It's not going to be the next Republican or the next Democrat or the socialist answer to everybody's problem. It's not going to be the Antichrist. It is Jesus. You might as well run to him now because you will bow the knee one day. Please, please. You're going to hell. Going to hell is the dumbest thing you could ever do. You don't have to. Why would you want to? Because I hate Jesus. Okay. Then enjoy the ride. But brothers and sisters... He's alive. And he is personally empowering us. His spirit's within us. I'm going to Big Bend this week. There are eight people there. And if I get the privilege, I get to tell somebody there about Christ. Well, you're going on vacation. Every time Jesus went to the mountain, there was a crowd there. Oh, please, tell people about Jesus. You know the uncle that comes to your family gatherings at Easter that you wish didn't come? He needs Jesus. Your aunt, the gossips, she needs Jesus. The person in this church that's a racist, they need Jesus. And if God exposes that to you, you need to tell them. Rise up, church. It's time. It's beautiful and wonderful and scary and wonderful and beautiful. And then we'll go home. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us forgiving us. And I pray for revival, Father, in East Texas, but I pray it would start at Carpenter's Way Church. May we be a flock that surrenders our life to you in Jesus' name. May it start with me. Amen. See you in a week. Don't bother me. I just tease it. You guys have a wonderful spring break. <laughs>